students. Today, the title of the word I'm going to share is called The Good Rebel. In 1985, Denise and I, as a young married couple, were visiting Christian friends in England. We took a day trip to London, and when we were in Trafalgar Square, there was a group doing a live drama in the square. I remember it was called Toymaker and Son. It was a brilliant drama, all about God the Father reaching out to mankind. It turned out they were Christians like us. But I kept hearing the word, you were a rebel. You were a rebel and you need to turn. And I began to think everything they said was, of course, totally true. But I thought, where I come from, in my culture, to speak the word rebel in a negative way, you probably wouldn't do that. Now, if you've moved here from overseas and you're not sure, well, let me tell you, you're in the rebel city. Would anyone say amen? amen. Rebel city, rebel county. It's not just sports, so the big sport in Cork is hurling, the Irish game. It's not just sports. It goes back to long, long way. One of them was the Irish War of Independence over a hundred years ago. Cork was one of the main battles in the Irish War of Independence. And it went back further. When my mother died, the amount of people who came up and said to me, your mother was a great rebel. Now, she wasn't in the IRA <laughs> setting off bombs or anything. But rebel, in a good sense, here, in our culture, is celebrated. And so perhaps it takes someone from the rebel city to maybe get us as Christians, or those of us on the spiritual journey, to look at, can you actually be a good rebel? Or is it all negative? And I want to talk into that today. And I'm going to begin by telling, or suggesting, is a better word, that I think we're all rebels in our nature. Let me just start. Rebel you. Um, someone called me a couple of years ago. We were visiting friends in Paris. And uh, I don't know what I was wearing. I can't remember. But I remember the wife there said, Ooh, hipster you. And I said to Denise, what's a hipster? <laughs> anyway, rebel you. What do I mean by rebel you? If you come from, let's say I came from an ordinary Cork family. I would have grown up a Catholic, but I would have struggled with stuff in the Catholic Church with all due respect to them. And I really would have struggled and I couldn't identify with it. And I began a spiritual search to find peace with God. Now, there was something of a rebel within me that I was able to rebel against my family faith. My dad took it very personally. He was very angry and took it as a rejection, even though we weren't rejecting him. But there was enough of a rebel in me. So if you came from a family like that, you've already come into the kingdom of God with something of a rebel in you. Maybe your family weren't religious. Maybe they were very secular, non-religious. But you could be anything you want. But when you come in the door and say you're a Christian, suddenly all hell breaks loose. You can be anything you want, except a Christian. You can mutilate yourself. You can pretend you're something else. That's cool. But don't you say you're a Christian or you have a faith. So there has to be something of a rebel in you to come to faith in Jesus Christ from a family like that. What about if you were born into a Christian family? 
well, you're not going to rebel against your parents if you've decided to follow Jesus. But you are going to rebel against the guys in school or the circle of friends you used to have or the society around you. Because it's very difficult here in Europe to say, I have a living faith in Jesus Christ. Even if your family was Christian, there has to be something of a rebel in you to be able to own your faith and come out like that and say, no, I choose Jesus, I choose Christianity. Straight away, there's a rebel thing going on in your soul. But even if you came from a Christian family and you came from another country, if you came from a place like Texas or Alabama in America or East Belfast, Balamina up in the north of Ireland or you came from Lagos, Nigeria or parts of South Africa or Korea, I could go on, where our type of Christianity is the mainstream and you've moved to Ireland and you've moved to Cork and you've come in here today that tells me you have enough courage, you have enough of the good rebel in you to be able to say, even though this is a very different society where it's really unusual to be a born-again Christian, I am owning that and I have enough courage to rebel against what the culture around me says. So we all, even if you're here for the first time and you're not sure where you're at, Spiritually, the very fact that you've come in here today tells me there is something of a rebel in you that is saying, the life I had before is not the life I want in the future. Would anyone say amen? amen. And you've made the right choice. Amen. So there's a bit of a rebel in all of us. There's a, a famous rapper or singer. His full name is Lecrae Moore, but he's known as Lecrae. I like what he says. If you really want to be a rebel, Read your Bible, because no one's doing that. That's rebellion. That's the only rebellion left. Do you read your Bible? Amen. You should. Yes. <laughs> Does anyone here read their Bible? Yes. Hallelujah, you're a rebel. And you are a good rebel, because this is God's love letter to Amen. mankind. Amen. This is where we get life. Because it tells us how to live and it is our moral compass and it is God's loving heart towards us so be a rebel so I want to redeem that word rebel in a Christian context you see if I was in some parts of the world and I came as a visiting speaker which I do every now and again in different churches I'd be very slow to share this because as soon as I say the word rebel people close down Rebel bad. But I'm here today to say sometimes rebel is good. Amen. Do you remember, I don't know if you remember if you were around, about 20 years ago, a load of people and kids especially had t-shirts that said WWJD. Or they had armbands that said WWJD. Anyone tell me what that stood for? Not Michael. You're trying to say it. No. <laughs> what would Jesus do? Can I suggest to you today, Jesus Christ was a good rebel. He knew what to rebel against and what not to rebel against. And that's what I'm here today. So I'm going to look at Luke 7 and 36 to 50 is the full context. Please read it at home during the week to get the full benefit. And I've heard a lot of 
excellent sermons on this talking about the woman, but I want to look at this from another angle. And I want to see how can we see how Jesus handled this situation and did he do what was right? And was he a good rebel in the middle of this situation, which is the prostitute who came in and washed his feet? Beautiful account. But let's pray. I ask you, God, your word would feed us. And I pray, God, it would touch that part of our hearts no man or woman could possibly touch. Let your word speak to us. Bring healing. Whatever's of me, let it go in one ear and out the other. But whatever is from you, let it take root and make us better Christians or bring us to the place where we really can make our peace with you. Let your Holy Spirit move here today as we look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So all the verses are on the screen. Hopefully, guys watching online, you can see it up here in the screen behind me as well. Simon the Pharisee invited Jesus to his house. And while Jesus was at the table, a prostitute came in weeping. She started washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying his feet with her hair. She kissed and anointed his feet with costly perfume. When Simon saw this, he said to himself, If this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. Then Jesus said to Simon, Simon, do you see how since I came into your house, you did not greet me with a kiss? Yet she has not stopped kissing my feet. You gave me no water to wash my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears. You never gave me oil from my head, yet she has anointed my feet with this expensive perfume. I declare her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the others began to say to each other, who does he think he is forgiving sins? But Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Hallelujah. What a fantastic, wonderful, moving account. And this was written by Luke under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Luke, who didn't even come from a Jewish background. Luke, who knew what it was to rebel against his Greek background. Luke, who was a physician or a doctor, and who knew so much academically, and uh, from a world point of view, very intelligent man. But he knew he had to humble himself and come to the feet of Jesus to be right with God. What do we see? Luke says that the prostitute came into the house weeping, washing Jesus' feet with her tears, drying his feet with her hair. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the expensive perfume. If you're wondering how did she get into his house, remember this is a very warm climate. 
the doors were indoors, outdoors. So it wasn't like she had to ring the doorbell and wait for the butler or whatever to let her in. Hello, I'm a prostitute, can I come in? That wasn't what was going on. You could very easily walk in. Sometimes it was on the roof of the house. It was easy to get in to where people ate. But she came in. How did she know Jesus was there? She would have seen or heard something. And you can see the trauma in the woman when she came in and she did this. Not only that, if you look into the detail, this expensive perfume that she anointed the feet of Jesus with was equivalent to one year's salary. So you take the average salary here in Ireland for a whole year before you pay tax, and that's what she spent on this. Why? Because she knew the pearl of great price was greater than money. Peace of your heart and peace in your mind is worth anything. Hallelujah. Amen. So she wasn't concerned about that. This was something profound. Now the fact that she came in weeping. And you know to wash the feet of Jesus with her tears. It wasn't just a tear. We're talking a lot of tears. She was as we say in Cork bawling. She was bawling, crying. And with respect to you, there was snots as well as tears going on here. Why? Because the woman was traumatized. And something deep and powerful was going on when Jesus came to the house. And when Jesus is in the house, people's lives change. And sometimes that change brings people to weep. That's why we keep the lights low here. So many people come in here and it could be the first time in years they came into a positive environment, a place where they're not judged or they don't have to show up dressed a certain way or pay some money to be accepted. It's a place of healing and a place of recovery and a place where we can be ourselves. And so people weep. Partly from the pain they've been through, partly as, as a, a relief that there's someone here who makes a difference and his name is Jesus. Amen. And this woman was feeling all of that like you and I have felt, if we're honest. And so she washes his feet with her tears. But then the owner of the house, the host, Simon, says this. And Luke puts it very interesting. He says, when Simon saw this going on, he said to himself, if this man was really a prophet, he would know what sort of woman she is. A sinner touching him. Now, there was a, an American person came up to me afterwards, after the first service when I was sharing and was shocked that I used a phrase that we use in Ireland. But I'm going to use it anyway, because you know what? This isn't Alabama, this is Cork. And the phrase we use in Ireland, someone like this, we call them a cute whore. H-O-O-R, okay? And cute in Ireland means crafty, cunning. And if you're from another culture, cute can mean what you see in American movies, really pretty or something. But Simon was a cute whore. Simon was cunning and streetwise. Simon, in my opinion, was the classic passive-aggressive. And 
He doesn't say it out loud, he says it to himself. How did Luke know that? Well, Luke was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but Luke is a doctor, and ask any of the doctors here in the church, Luke would know, and a doctor will tell you, that as soon as you walk into their surgery, before you ever say, I have a pain here or whatever, they look at your face, they look at your body language, they read you, and rightfully so, to try and pick up signals in your non-verbal communication and to see, are your eyes clouded, is your skin pale? They look at all of this. So Luke, as a physician, as a doctor, would know how to read the situation. And he would have seen in Simon's eyes, in his body language, the judgment the cruelty, the disdain that Simon would have had for Jesus Christ here in this situation. And to have a woman touch Jesus in this way. Now this is revolutionary. Again, I'm going to use you, comrade. Imagine if a woman came in here right now crying and she went up to Jesus and she started kissing Michael's feet. Every gossip in the church be going, I knew it. I knew it. It would be him she'd go up to, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be bastard, I'm not. That's how she came to me. I jest, I jest. But, but you get what I'm saying. Someone came in and started kissing your feet. If you're a woman and a man came in and started kissing your feet and you said, praise the Lord, I know it. But, or someone did it. It's, it's kind of shocking. Like, it's not the dumb thing, is it? And we're living in a culture and a society that's a lot kind of more at ease about anything like that. This was quite a rigid society. Kind of think Saudi Arabia. And you're kind of getting there, you know? It was really men and women were separate and all of this. So this was shocking. On one level, you could understand why Simon the Pharisee was shocked. But look at what Jesus said to him. When I came to your house, Simon, you didn't greet me with a kiss. You gave me no water from my feet or oil from my head. You always greeted someone with a kiss on the cheek in that culture. Go to the Mediterranean today, Italy, Greece or whatever, and you'll see men or women, they will greet each other with a kiss. If you don't greet someone with a kiss, it's saying something. Not only that, they would have come with dirty feet. There was no tar or concrete. They just had sandals. If they came to your home, their feet would be filthy and covered in dust, so you would give them water in a dish so they could wash their feet. But he never did that. And you would give them oil, and they'd put it on their head and maybe on their body. And what was that about? It was because they had body odor in the heat and the sun. They didn't have any deodorant. There wasn't anything like that. They didn't hop in the shower before they came. They didn't have showers. So body odor was a big problem. And what you did if you really were into the people and you wanted them to be comfortable, you would give them some oil. It would mask the body odor. But Simon did nothing like that. So Jesus calls Simon out. He doesn't call out the sinful woman, the prostitute, he calls out Jesus. Or Jesus calls out Simon. And look at how smart or cunning or cute or to use the Irish expression he was. He invites Jesus to his home, but he doesn't give him a welcome. And when he comes to judgment, he just says it to himself. He is the quintessential passive-aggressive. Have you ever worked with a passive-aggressive? 
some of you have. Simon, I, I mean, he invites Jesus to his home. Well done, Simon. But then he just doesn't give him any welcome. So he, he wanted him there, but he didn't really want him there. But he wasn't going to take it on fully. So Simon is sending a message by what he doesn't do rather than what he does do. He wanted to catch Jesus. This was the Pharisees testing him. He would have loved to have catched Jesus. And so when this woman came in and Jesus allowed her to do that to him, Simon had his evidence. He never gave him a welcome. And of course, he was too cunning to say out loud to Jesus, who do you think you are doing this? He said it to himself. Oh, how cute, how clever, how cunning. You see, in this situation, Simon only saw sex, but Jesus saw a changed heart. What would you see? What would I see? You see, what we see tells more about us than about what's going on. If all we ever see is evil, it's probably because there's a lot of evil in our hearts. If we are always suspicious of other people, there's something wrong. I know we can be the other way as well, too naive, but you know what? I would rather be naive than be always suspicious of people. I can't live my life like that. So I choose to take people at face value until I see proof of the opposite. Some people choose to be suspicious until you jump through all, jump through all the hoops and then they might take you at your word. I choose life the other way. You know why? Because I know God is with me. And I know God will protect me. And if someone is out to do something, God will deal with it. I don't have to deal with it. So I go through my life with an open heart. Honestly, I do. Whether it's new. We have new neighbors uh, moving in right next door to us. I welcome them. And I was talking to someone in, in my wider family and they were saying, oh, I'd be very suspicious until... I, do you know, I can't live life like that. Great to meet you. You're welcome. Now, if I get a poison pen letter that they try and stick a dagger in me, I go, you're not my friend anymore. But you know what I mean? But Simon only saw what was wrong. Jesus saw something deeper. Jesus rebelled against that hypocrisy. Jesus rebelled against what Simon was standing for. Jesus was a good rebel against all of this old stuff. He rebelled against the hypocrisy. Simon was cruel. Simon wouldn't even give her a chance. Jesus rebelled against that. He rebelled against his cunning. There is something that is so unjust if people don't have a second chance. Would, would you say amen? Yes. Don't you deserve a second chance? Yes. Listen, if you really want to follow God's word, the Bible, he is the God of the second chance. Amen. Did you make a mess of your life? I know someone who will help you clean up the mess. Amen. Jesus is the God of the second chances. And Jesus rebelled against the religious injustice that Simon represented. The Pharisees. On paper they were everything you should be. But their hearts were rotten. What did he say? On the outside, you're like whitened sepulchres, but inside they weren't like that. But he rebelled against that, and he rebelled against Simon's rush to judgment. 
Brothers and sisters, there is so much in our culture, in our society, that we have to have the courage to be a good rebel. Rebel against the gossip around the water cooler at work or in the canteen. Everyone is having a gossip about someone. Have the courage to walk away. Don't get involved. Yeah? Oh no, I couldn't do that. Yes, you can. You can walk away from the gossip. You're working on a building site and all the lads start persecuting someone who's a little different. Some guy who's a different skin colour or has a different accent or whatever. And they start <laughs> slagging him, joking him. Are you laughing with them? Shame on you. That's shameful. Have the courage to be a rebel, a good rebel. And refuse to take part in victimising someone else. Is someone being bullied? Are you part of it? Be a good rebel and walk away from it. Or better again, stand up for them. Amen. I couldn't do that really. You know what? The day will come when someone will have to stand up for you. They came for the Jews and I said nothing. And then they came for the communists, but I said nothing. And then they came for the social democrats and I said nothing. And then they came for the gypsies and I said nothing. Finally, they came for me and there was no one left to say anything for me. Famous words from Germany in World War II about the persecution the Nazis brought on people. My namesake, Edmund Burke, in Dublin in the 1700s said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good men and women to say nothing. Nothing. What did Jesus say? These were the words. This is the closing words of for this woman's experience. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, he had just been talking to Simon and she's listening. She might have been distraught, but she could hear. And he's saying, Simon, shame on you. I rebel against what you stand for. But you see this lady here? And so he gave her a humanity. She wasn't a lump of meat known as the prostitute. She was a human being. She wasn't just someone you could have sex with. She was a person who needed to be encouraged to have a new life. And he saw that. And he rebelled against the rottenness and the evil in society. When my grandparents took up guns, and they all did, to fight the foreign invader here, they had to have the courage to be a rebel. And one of my granduncles was wounded and went around with a limp from the Irish War of Independence down in West Cork. In the same way, you and I have to be willing to take a blow and maybe even have a bit of a limp socially to be a good rebel. You know that's right in your soul. Let's redeem the word rebel. That lady went from being traumatized to having peace. Jesus said, go in peace. That's a phrase that, I don't know, Father Ted now in all of these comedies would have had that. And it kind of trivializes it, but it's powerful. To say to someone who knew no peace, go in peace. If you really want the word, it's go in shalom. It's not just the absence of conflict. It's the blessing of God into it. Everyone here, whether you're here for the first time or you've been here for decades, when you leave here, my prayer is you go here from here in peace. Amen. You would bring the shalom of Jesus with you. 
you would bring that peace into your bed tonight. You would bring that peace into your car, into your work, into your school. Bring it with you. Why? Because you met Jesus. Amen. He's in this house. And he was a good rebel. And we are good rebels. And the fact that we're here, we're saying something different to the world outside. You go down here last night, sorry, I'm on my hobby horse, you're going to have to put up with me for the next few minutes. You go down here late last night and you'll see them all drunk out there, urinating, vomiting, diarrhea. I've seen it, we've cleaned it up here in the morning. And they say they're free. They are prisoners of a false gospel called have fun tell you, you want to be the happiest people on earth? Let me introduce you to Jesus. And you don't need an addiction. You don't need alcohol. You don't need drugs. It's free. And what's better, it doesn't destroy your family. It blesses your family. Jesus allowed her to go in peace and she left that place a different woman. Here's where we can't rebel. Some people, remember one person years ago saying, ah, Christianity is schizophrenic. No, it's not. But there is a dynamic tension. Because we must rebel against that which is evil, but not against God. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short or come short of the glory of God. So every one of us comes to faith with rebellion in our hearts. And the good rebel rebellion needs to be nurtured, but that which is rebellion against God needs to be put to death. You and I need to slaughter it. You and I need to deal with that rebellion. Because that's just in our sinful nature. Are you willing to say amen to that? Because we're all born with a sinful nature. When some people say, I was always a Christian, with respect, you weren't. To be a Christian, you have to come to a point in your life where you say, I will decide to follow Jesus. It's a choice. It's a choice. You might be eight or you might be 80, but you choose it. That's what a Christian is. If you rebel against God's ways and refuse to listen to him, then his hand will be heavy against you. 1 Samuel 12, 15. Some people, life is really hard. And that's why here, whether they hate us for it or they bless us for it, we have to be honest and say, if you're running against God, if you're rebelling against him, his hand will be heavy Upon you, But if we make our peace with him, it's the best decision we'll ever make. And his blessing will be upon us. Just say amen. amen. Hallelujah. It also says in Hebrews 3.15, referring to a big rebellion in the book of Exodus. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart like they did in the rebellion. If your heart is getting hard at this word, I prayed at the start, whatever is of Tom Burke, let it be forgotten. I don't matter, but God's word matters. And if God's word says this, don't harden your heart. Keep your heart open to him. Your mind and your heart need to be open to God. If you don't believe what I'm saying, go and check it out. I'm not making it up. It's what God's word says. For months I've been thinking about uh, the writings and I was reading the writings of a guy called Francis Schaeffer. And he was an American theologian and pastor, but he came here to Europe and 
ministered out of Switzerland, and I love what he says, the beginning of men's rebellion against God was and is the lack of a thankful heart. There is such a connection in your life to whether you have an attitude of gratitude or whether everything is a problem. Because if everything is a problem, there's something wrong. It is so important that we regularly give thanks. What have I got to give thanks for? Do you have a roof over your head? Yeah, but. Do you have enough food on the table? Yeah, but. Do you have someone who has time for you? Yeah, but. You know, there's going to be yeah, buts. But we give thanks for the blessings in our lives. I promise you this. It changes everything. It changes. Not just that we see life in a better way. Not just that we don't get sick as often or that we live longer. Though it does have that impact. But actually things change because God sees it. When God sees a thankful heart and you're one of the one in ten, think of that leper, ten were healed, one came back to thank Jesus. Jesus said, where are the other nine? That one was a rebel. He was a good rebel. All the others were having a party. And he said, I'm going to give thanks to Jesus. Would that be you? Be a good rebel. Don't rebel against God. That needs to go. Rebel against injustice. So, Rebel against man's evil? Yes. Can you say yes? Yes. Will you be a good rebel? Yes. Rebel against God's ways? No. No. Never do that. The band are coming up. We're going to sing this beautiful song called Graves into Gardens. Let me show you the first few words. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Was that your experience? One person. Anyone else know what that feels like? Will drink do it? Will drugs do it? Will money do it? Someone said yes. No. (laughs) Will Jesus do it? Yes. Man's empty praise. You want the lads in the building site to think you're cool? They'll devour you tomorrow. If they'll devour someone else, they'll devour you. Treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and you put me back together and every desire is now satisfied here in your love. We're going to pray that God put some of us here back together. The process has begun. So we're going to give you an opportunity in confidence to ask Jesus to put you back together. Maybe for the first time to make your peace. But I want to pray that this hall will be filled and our community would be known as the good rebels in the rebel city. That we will say no to that which is evil around us and we'll say yes to that which is good. Which is good.